there comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, February 10th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I apologize for any confusion out there today in regard to the the shows, the Brooke Jackson interview that we were going to be doing at 12 today, uh, and I'll explain ultimately what happened. I rapidly changed the show that we already posted to the Daily Wrap-Up today which was quite a bit more confusing and frustrating than I expected, but it was important because it had already been shared. There was already a lot of, sh- you know, discussions and sharing and discuss. I'm going to make a couple of points about Brooke Jackson in general. Unfortunately, she had some family thing pop up last minute and we had to reschedule. We're going to probably tr- either try to do it tomorrow or the couple days later, same exact show. It's all still set up. Uh, but, in, uh, but I was able to kind of, rapidly get put together a daily wrap up here with, you know, as you guys know, I've got a lot of side things that I'm always building on and like the mass discussion that I've been referencing. So, you know, bear with me and forgive me, give me the benefit of the doubt. If there's any weird discrepancies or discon, a lot of this stuff was kind of thrown together last minute. So just that being said, let's uh, let's go through what we have today. The mass discussion is going to be an important one. What I think actually posted by Brooke Jackson, which is one of the most alarming things I've seen thus far because of how obvious this has begun to, the, the narrative has fallen apart. And nonetheless, the CDC just came out, or a panel discussing what the CDC's, the CDC's authority comes out and discusses how apparently they no longer need an emergency anymore. You know, because that's that's why things went wrong. They didn't have enough power, which is always how this works out. And we're going to go through how alarming that is, what that means for the future. We're going to talk about the masks as I discussed. I'm going to have a quick correction I want to make on a previous show, a recent one. We're going to talk about Nord Stream reasonably quickly in the beginning, because frankly, I think we all already know what was very well proven by Seymour Hirsch. Excellent journalism there. But the point being is something that was a very clear discussion from the early on Biden and numerous people threatening to take action against it. It's silly, but it's still important to see the actual evidence and understand what happened there. We're going to go over. Uh, a point about Fauci, the recent, I guess, unacknowledged by the corporate media admission that this was this whole vaccination campaign is not working and it's not going to work. And that's why we need to do better. And yet they're still forcing those injections in kids. There's still studies coming out saying the thing that Fauci just said could never work is working for everybody. Like, it's really ridiculous. And we're going to go through something he said about gain of function and H5N1 and how they're now pointing at that as the new thing. And of course, uh, some interesting things at the end that that'll the great reset kind of focus around digital money and the caps putting on it, uh, caps they're put on should you use it, digital money, and the World Economic Forum and how they're discussing the kind of future of the dystopian world and technology they're going to use. It's alarming. But on the note to start with, I wanted to make sure I pointed out uh, for those that saw this, we were indeed going to be interviewing Brooke Jackson today at, at noon. Uh, and as I said, we were forced to reschedule. So I will let you guys know as this develops when that will be done. As soon as I hear back from her, um, I'll let you guys know when that will be rescheduled. I wanted to make a couple quick points in here. I'll include her her website for you guys to check out. Because uh, as you guys know, The Last American Vagabond was the first location 
that interviewed her via video and discussed and out and laid out all the evidence all the way back in December 2021. The, and, and then again, interviewed her on February 11, 2022, where at that point, Pfizer had revealed concerns with data integrity themselves, which vindicated what she was saying. And it's only gotten a lot more intense from there. I'm going to play one small thing for you as we get started here. That, that kind of was the premise for what I wanted to start on with our interview. But just so you guys can see it for yourselves. Before I play that, though, I want to just make sure you guys can check out her website. You can see all the case documents. All the stuff, by the way, most, uh, not all, most, must, uh, much of the original case of which we showed in this interview that I still argue just this interview alone, if actually engaged with honestly, was the end of the story. I mean, my point about this, why I'm so blown away how this is still even today, what I was going to call it, which you might have seen the title was the, the major, I think the, the large, the, the, important Pfizer lawsuit that you likely have never heard of. And it's only because corporate media has completely obfuscated the story. Those in the independent media and that watch these channels, you guys are aware of it, but the average person you'd be shocked to realize have never even heard of this. And my point is this is the spite. You can look in the data down here, the links directly to the document cloud that has all of the information that's been, it's verifiable. And what blows me away about this is that you can look in this original interview and we show it on the show where you have interviews or emails that Brooke got before and after she actually left because they still had her in email chains and so on that literally show the groups that they're called that, that are the, I guess that the CDC and the government are defending and Pfizer defending literally arguing that they need to hide what Brooke said was happening that they claim didn't happen. Think about how ridiculous that is. Like I, I challenge you to go through and look at this information and tell me, and tell me that I'm wrong about that. It's really obvious that's why I'm so blown away by this. That's why I wanted to come back again a third time and just kind of follow up and get more attention. Where is it? What's going on? You can see how she's got a lot of listed interviews in here. A lot of good, a lot of good interviews in there. You'll find uh, they're, they're kind of intermittently posted based on time. I mean, not based on time. I mean, they're kind of just kind of there's no time organization, it looks like. But you'll see some of the earlier ones, November 2021 and so on. And again, I just want to proudly point out that T-Lab was one of the earliest, if not the earliest, to get this out there to you guys, demonstrating our value because it's important. There's the, there's the December one right there. But please check this out. She deserves your support. Uh, your support. She's a very brave person. To the, I mean, think about all that she's gone through to this day, and people still in the general mainstream conversation don't even know who she is. And if they do, they relegate her to being a conspiracy theorist despite proving what she saw. I mean, that's just where we are today, guys. So we will come back to this. Looking forward to it. Now I want to play this one clip. This was on a clip from a while ago, actually. We, I think we've even played on the show before. But again, this was going to be the kind of beginning of our conversation. And just showing you how ridiculous this has gotten. And then we'll start off with the Nord Stream point. This is just a really quick clip, actually. I'll just play the... Oh, oh actually, I forgot I have it downloaded in here. I'll play... I was going to use it as the opening. I'll play this right now. This is actually pretty interesting. So I represent uh, Brooke Jackson, who is a whistleblower who exposed that the Pfizer clinical trials were riddled not only with error, but with fraudulent and false certifications to the U.S. government. What's fascinating is Pfizer has moved to dismiss the case and their grounds to dismiss, as they repeated in the scheduling conference we had this week, is that it doesn't matter if they submitted fraudulent certifications to the government. It doesn't matter if they submitted false statements under penalty of perjury to the government. It doesn't matter if they lied about the safety and efficacy of these uh, drugs mislabeled, in my opinion, as vaccines. Because the government was in on it with them. The government knows what's going on, and the government still would have given them the check anyway. So is it really fraud if the government's their co-conspirator? That is, in essence, Pfizer's defense so far to the, uh, to the case. 
But what's crazy about that, guys, and again, that's that's her lawyer on the right. Viva Frey is a popular broadcaster, also lawyer. Is is just how a lot and you could I went through the documentation myself. I went through the actual the actual court filing and read it. And it is he's paraphrasing, but that is essentially what they're arguing. It's this basically because the government didn't do anything about it. There's no problem here. And I mean, it's we're, we're living in a time of such obvious malfeasance, government fraud, not just Pfizer, but government manipulation that it's amazing that their argument should, I mean, that's the kind of clout you get when you are in a conspiracy with the highest levels of power. The point is that it doesn't matter just be, the, whether or not the government is okay with your fraud does not change the fact that you got caught lying and breaking all sorts of rules and regulations and hiding and covering it up. It's just mind blowing. Uh, but the point is in, in a court of law, you have to deal with sometimes power. I mean, almost always power influencing the outcome. So who knows whether this is the, the bottom line is the evidence is out there for you to look at. Now, the court to public opinion does definitely matter. There's a lot of a lot of you know, manipulation out there as well. But it's important to get this in front of people for them to review for themselves because it's that clear. And I just hope people can see that before. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm hoping that this goes the way we think it should. But in the event that it doesn't make sure the evidence is available for people, because my God, it's just it's just that clear. Now, on that same kind of conversation, guys, I don't know if you've seen this. If you haven't, it's really important. This, there's been a lot of people out there, myself included, that talked about this right away and reviewed all the available evidence. And it was like, OK, we can't necessarily prove like in a court of law kind of way, prove that the government did this at that moment. I think we have here now, clearly. The, and I'm talking about the U.S. government here. But it was I mean. From like an investigatory standpoint, from a, like say a criminal investigation, it's obvious that that's the prime culprit, the prime suspect, because you've got multiple examples of them threatening. You got multiple examples of them kind of insinuating that action would be taken if they didn't do what they were told in very blatant and obvious ways. You have historical precedent for the U.S. government doing exactly this many times. I mean, it's just ridiculous. That, but again, I would be willing to tell you that doesn't mean we know for sure. My gut and my and the evidence were very obvious, and not. Then you could also point out the this is never a way to this is this is not a point that should ever sell these conversations. But you could point out that you know what's the benefit here for Russia? As always, you could argue it's the effort is to create this conversation, but that's pretty abstract when there's no real end game benefit, especially when they know the U.S. government doesn't. They'll just respond and say no, propaganda, fake news, even when they actually do it and they are actually caught. They they do say that. So overall, when all you know at the Occam's razor kind of thing, all things considered equal, the simplest explanation tends to be the correct one. That's what we're looking at here before. Now we've got Seymour Hirsch, who is interesting. I was just talking about him the other day, is an interesting overlap, clearly has mainstream clout, despite how they, you know, many people, especially today, kind of relegate these kind of in middle ground kind of people as fake news conspiracy theorists, like anybody else that challenges the narrative. But he has a lot of respect in all areas. I argue because he deserves your respect and that's in independent media and mainstream circles. And he came out because he's got a lot of high level sources as well. He came out and he broke this down, how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline. The New York Times called it a mystery, but the United States executed a covert sea operation that was kept secret until now. Now, I'm not going to go through this entirely today. One, because I, you know, like I said, I threw this together kind of last minute, but I do. I just wanted to make sure you guys saw the report so you can look at it for yourself and review the information 
I'd argue a lot of which, a lot of this, other than the specific sources that we haven't seen yet, it's been broadly discussed on this channel and plenty of others. But it's important to check this stuff out to understand this is nothing new, guys. It's really not. And I think that's why it's not shocking for most Americans. And here's the Times covering it as well. U.S. bombed Nord Stream gas pipelines claims investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch, which, you know, I mean, that's better than you, you would expect from most corporate media. But it's interesting that you, you can you not review the evidence? Can you not look at the source? But, you know, well, OK, if I give it well, at least they've covered it. You won't even get this on the corporate media or anywhere in most corporate media. Now, Sal Diagoras points out a very important point. <laughs> Anybody know what the carbon footprint is of blowing up a gas pipeline in the ocean? Right. It's obviously a, a knock at the, the administration at the very least. I argue just our government who are executing what they claim is some kind of green agenda, carbon reduction. And then they go do things like this. The truth is, as you always should know, that's not who they really are, or what they really care about. They're using sustainability. They're using these ideas to manipulate those that are gullible enough to fall for it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't care about the planet or care about keeping things clean and, you know, and, and even going in a more green direction. Just do it if you want to and do it in the ways that you think are right. The government shouldn't be dictating these things for everybody. The bottom line is that you can't pretend you care about these things and then go do something that dramatically is the opposite of that. Sort of like flying to jets all over to act like you care about the climate or whatever. It's contradictory. Or saying we're going to do this and that and then using masks that pollute everything ever you know every it's contradictory it's like the good or you know pretending that nuclear weapons and gas and all this stuff is all esg compliant because we use them to execute freedom therefore it's a good thing that's just childish it's, it's the literal opposite even all of the uh green organizations out there whatever you call that these days spoke up in anger when that happened to the uk and the u.s like, what do you mean nuclear weapons what do you mean gas and oil that's not esg that's literally the opposite of what we're doing and they go we don't care freedom i mean i'm jokingly paraphrasing but that's where we are right now the uk openly states that gas oil and gas and nuclear weapons if they use them are considered within esg well but not you you can't drive your car and live certain it's it's ridiculous and always for don't for, and don't forget. I often hear the mention of China being the largest polluter on the planet. Now, I wouldn't. I don't know. I would argue that it's very likely possible that in any way the U.S. comparative points to China that we might not have the full picture on either side of this. But I challenge that in the context of one key point, which is the U.S. military and their presence all around the world, not just in the country of the United States, and how they aggressively pollute. This is, there has been articles written about this for decades. It, I mean, at the very least, one of the worst polluters on the planet are just the U.S. military, not the country either. But China also. not China is a horrible polluter. Now, the point is that this is contradictory. And they don't care. They would challenge the entire foundation of their, you know, whatever their tenets are, just to be able to execute an agenda if they thought it would benefit what they wanted to do. Garland Nixon points out another interesting point. The U.S. literally used... A military exercise, which don't forget how often they screech about how there's just planned exercises. They're not meant to be provocations. We're not doing that to it to make a point or state something or carry out some kind of flex saber rattling. Uh, yes, that's always what it's for. Always. So they carried out one of those pretend simulations that wasn't totally about anything else and then used that to literally attack. As he says, simulating protecting NATO countries from Russian attack to carry out a military attack on a NATO country. Think about that. Right. We're talking about whether it's Germany specifically, NATO in general, like you're talking about European infrastructure in regard to the gas. I mean, think about all of the things we talked about with the election, the energy crisis that's going on. That's not because Putin invaded Ukraine, guys. We can't be that simple. 
It's because of a lot of things, to be quite clear, and you could argue that played a factor. But, but definitely not the U.S. government exploding the Nord Stream pipeline. Not that, though. Totally not. But in general, I wanted to go to another point on the uh, recent article I put out about Ukraine. Now, we just talked about this. Ukraine tests chemical weapon on Russians. And uh, and then, and then the, what I want to do, a quick small correction on. Well, I mean, it's actually a reasonably large correction, but it was a, I'll show you what I mean. Broken COVID jab bile causes ocular erosion and rashes, which is very true. It's actually what happened. Before that, though, we want, I want to make sure we saw that this is apparently, I wish I would have seen this before. The I reported on this on the 8th of February. Ukraine accused of chemical warfare on the 6th of February. Toxic compounds have allegedly been used by Russian troops in Donbass. Now, uh, have allegedly been used against, excuse me, Russian troops in Donbass. Now, what's interesting is this is per this is the same story, which is, I w this is coming from RT, yes, coming from Russian media. So factor that in. If you shouldn't dismiss that or corporate media from the U.S., you should consider it, but also look at it through the lens that it comes through their government propaganda. But what's interesting here is that this is there. There's lots of evidence for this. And what they're telling you is Russian military commanders have reported that Ukrainian troops are deploying a type of chemical weapon against units in Donbass. Now, I really don't want to play the video again because I got to be honest, it's, it's pretty hard to watch. But it's in this. It's in this. If you'd like to watch it, you can kind of see it right here. I have it broken up in the image where you can see the two Russians walking through or, you know, kind of wading through the river. And then they drop one thing and they start twitching. And then you can see them drop this weird canister. And then they just kind of convulse and fall into the water. It's pretty hard to watch. And this is from them setting up in a different area using these drones to, I mean, all this stuff is on the record, guys. You can see it. They're posting it on their own Telegram channels. And yet the corporate media is baffled. <laughs> it's like they're baffled about anything they don't want you to see today. Baffled. We're baffled, I tell you. We can't figure it out. But. They're telling you that they've been doing this for a while. That there's lots of reports and you can't find the evidence. Like I keep telling you, they brag about this on the channels that the corporate media just can't seem to find. But anyway, I, I think there's more to this. And I'm really concerned about the overlap of the biological, not just chemical. If they're testing these, if they're using these and nobody seems to care, what does that tell them? Keep going. Try something else. It's alarming, guys, and that's the kind of thing that the U.S. government complacency does when they achieve. They, it's you know, arming the moderate rebels. Yeah, was that what that was? <laughs> Were they arming the moderate or or any other number of manipulations that we've proven? Just the founding of ISIS in general, Al Qaeda, Mujahideen. That's what these people are. Now, Russia, their government post here actually are, are, uh, points out something else that we have evidence for as well that the corporate media continues to ignore. Ky Kiev's Western curators are largely responsible for yet another shooting of Russian POWs. This has happened at least four or five times that I've seen myself that have been proven by independent researchers on the ground, like Patrick Lancaster. They nurtured this Nazi regime and raised a generation of Ukrainians obsessed with hatred. Now, I wouldn't argue it's all of them. There's plenty of Ukrainians that don't agree with this, and I've showed you that. Con covering their crimes by, by silence, the West making them possible. Now, that's just a statement, but there is lots of them out there, and you'll see. And I don't really, again, I didn't even want to play that. The point is this is a video you can watch that it's it's an, a blatant execution of three Russian soldiers surrendering. They proudly praise that they post it. They cheer about it. And my point on this, guys, even this video over here, you can still see this on Twitter right now. How about where, where are you at on the promotion of violence, Elon Musk? People are sharing this. This is a gigantic conversation. These videos have been posted and reposted. It is literally showing Russians killed by chemical weapons convulsing into the river. I'll bet, I guess that's okay, though, because Ukraine or Russia bad guy. 
about apparently sharing hashtag love everybody. Well, that's just unacceptable with a symbol that isn't actually what they said it was. This is the same thing. Now, he's reposting this to show you. My point is this was posted on both this. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the channel or not. This could be the one that shared it out to get it seen by us. The point is this was shared on Telegram channels, supported and hosted by Ukrainian military and Ukrainian supporters, and then posted on Twitter on their channels, laughing, complaining, shouting, cheering. It's okay, though. As long as it's Russians, it's okay. That you can't that that the silence is deafening. Elon Musk is well aware of this stuff, doesn't care. You can't you can't act. I've tagged him myself. So let's not pretend like this is not a choice. That's pretty horrific, guys. Now, Garland Nixon, on top of that, points out that Austrian colonel is now claiming that NATO soldiers like we didn't already know this are fighting in Ukraine as mercenaries. That's how they play the game. They go they send them in using DynCorp Academy, a.k.a. Blackwater. Right. Let me see if I can grab this real quick. There it is. We've already talked about this. The same thing in Afghanistan. You think we're out of Afghanistan? You're wrong. The, 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 the contractors never left, which was the point. They give you all these false numbers about this many thousand troops. They don't ever count their contractors. That's the pro We are in a different age of warfare, guys. This is proxy war time. We, we're not even counting the proxy warriors. We're talking about the contractors as a separate entity. What about the Kurds? What about all the groups that they clearly fund and arm and use? What about the Ukrainian neo-Nazi elements? We don't count those ones, though. Shady U.S.-funded contractors, DynCorp and Blackwater, operating in Ukraine alongside U.S.-backed extremists. This is March 2022. The point is you can see people like Cynthia McKinney who have regularly called this out. Groups like DynCorp being lit. She has evidence in her hand of DynCorp being involved in human trafficking. Nobody cared then. They don't care now, guys. It's because we live in a world we don't understand as most people don't seem to realize the true breadth of the evil that exists. I don't believe that's the majority. However, the majority does seem to have a or rather that minority seems to have capitalized the power Clearly, they have more control than anybody else. And these are the kind of things that get dismissed and disparaged and laughed at in conspiracy theory while you're waving the provable evidence in front of their face. So that's why it's OK, though, because it's NATO, probably just a straight up U.S. outfit. But they're there under mercy. They're there as contractors or volunteers. Remember how Ukraine started? All these we, we showed literal evidence of all sorts of U.S. personnel on the ground. They're like, oh, no, they went to the volunteer. OK, so now it's allowed for a U.S. military personnel to just go volunteer for a foreign country. Totally makes sense. Right, guys? <laughs> Come on. We can't be this dumb. And I know I know you're not in this. Most people in this chat are well aware of this stuff. But the average person, I can't believe they fall for this stuff. Check it out for yourself. Now, I'm going to go over to a point about this discussion. We just talked about this. This is very important. I, I, I highly recommend that you check this out. Ocular surface erosion after suspected exposure to evaporated COVID-19 vaccine. Now, just to cut to the chase here, I'll show you right now the mistake that I made. Um, and this was, this, you know, again, this is what happened. No, it totally my mistake. And the important part is that we come back and that we clarify this stuff. We all make mistakes. If, if the, those that refuse to come back and correct them, then that tells you something. Now, I'll show you why. And this was actually a reasonably large mistake because it overlapped the concept of Pfizer with what this was. It turns out the Sinovac, Coronavac, which, by the way, I feel like I knew in the moment, but was reading quickly and saw. Where was it? Let's see. Biotech right there. So I was reading this and I, I thought that said BioNTech. Which there are overlaps, by the way. BioNTech has versions of other injections that aren't necessarily considered community or, or 
BNT uh, 2B, uh, what is it? BNT 1, 2B2, or what? I forget what it is. But they are still biotech and they're using the same kind of technology in other countries. So I just, that was my fault. Either way, this is still the same story. But to make it more specific, we're talking about the Chinese version. I never claimed it was mRNA. It's just this Chinese version. But it's, so if it's the one that's not the new mRNA version that they're using, so that would, I guess the Sinovac is not, then that's not mRNA. Just I, that's the thing is in the show, I didn't, I don't think I said it was mRNA, but I did insinuate or say that it was BioNTech. So it's important. So not Pfizer connected. However, when you stand back and look at the big picture, we're talking about a spike protein focused injection like they all are that fell on the ground and caused people to break out in rashes and have ocular erosion, which is crazy. So just think about that, whether or not, I mean, I argue in the beginning that it was the, the mRNA is very alarming in its own right for lots of different reasons. But to, if we're talking about the like immediate the spike pro, like the, the myocarditis, heart problems, collapse at the, the bells, all these different things, I would maybe save for like some of the neurological things that might be more connected with the mRNA. I, I, that's just a possibility. I argue the spike protein is the focal point in this context. I've done individual focuses on lipid nanoparticles, let's say, on the mRNA and unknown products within it. So they each have their concerns. My point, though, is that the spike protein, I think, is what is the real issue with what we just saw here. So then ask yourself, if you have an injection that not just does whatever the old non-mRNA one is doing, I mean, shouldn't say old, but is, in fact, creating more than one continuously that circulates your bloodstream and end up in all of your organs, that thing just caused a rash within hours on people's arms. What do you think it's doing in your body? Then think about the fact that, remember, this person, they swept this up. And then hours later, people came back in the room and were only there for a couple of hours. So we're talking about something fell and it was only, I think it was only like a fifth of the vial full. They swept it up, cleaned it. Two hours go by. People come in the room who are there for two more hours. They have outbreaks. They have ocular erosion. Think about how crazy that is. This is not, this is being aerosolized by its own right without some, without, with nothing but just wiping it off the ground. So not BioNTech, but still wildly important to what we're dealing with today. I would argue that it's probably even more damaging to have the Pfizer or Moderna ones do the same thing. But we don't know because we don't have full disclosure, full information, any of it. So just wanted to make sure we clarified that because that's important. Now, I want to also shout out two great articles that just went up. This is one from Derek, which I think is really important. Samuel Garcia, uh, I think it's Spulevda. Um, you guys tell me in the chat. Sepulveda. Sepulveda. There we go. Se that's probably not pronounced properly, but at least put the, got the letters at the right place. Sepulveda, the, the World Economic Forum's man in Mexico. That's the important part. Now, the bottom line is, as we've been talking about, as Derek has written about, I'm going to try to grab it real quick. I don't think I'll be able to find it off the top of my head. But he, he's written in the past about how, you know, Alma or, or uh, the current president. There we go. It's right here. He's written about this in the past. And I, I've, I've even said something a long time ago about this, whether it was about the border, COVID-19, that he clearly was resistant to a lot of the imperialism, sort of like uh, Eva Morales was. And we did the same thing on this show. Remember, we called that. When he confronted Pompeo in the UN uh, meeting and Pompeo gave him the death stare, I did an entire show about how the impending regime change for Eva Morales. And then what do you know? Literally what happened, an openly U.S. executed regime change. Same thing here. 
when people stand up and don't let the U.S. government do whatever they want, then they mark them down. And, and when necessary, they execute changes. That's illegal, obviously. So my concern would be that this person, whether you think he's on your side or not, is going to the next regime change. And he wrote about this in 2021. Mexico's president, AMLO, which is his short shorthand, accuses U.S. State Department of promoting coup plotters. So in this context, this is what one, one aspect of what we think is happening. And I feel like I want to start coining a new term here, which I, I hashtagged when I shared this. World Economic Forum regime change, or WEF regime change. It's different, isn't it? We're not talking about by the barrel of a gun anymore. We're talking about long-sought cultivation of assets, as we know he's admitted to, all around the world, young global leaders and whatever else, that you then cultivate, groom, and then basically grow into these positions over decades. We've already seen gloated about this, and this is one of those people who potentially, we're just theorizing, could be the next person to stand to be the president of Mexico. And then what would that mean if it's a person who's openly, glowingly shouting for everything the World Economic Forum wants, which seems to be the opposite of what the Mexican people want? That would say a lot. Now, the point is, read it for yourself. It's a concerning thing to realize that we're, I think we're in a new phase of even the proxy war era. World Economic Forum financial regime change. That's kind of what I think we're looking at here. Bloodless coups, maybe not all the time entirely bloodless, but that's where it seems to be going. And then, of course, I want to make sure you see the, the, the real bloody realities that the corporate media still likewise ignores. Israel murders five Palestinians in Jericho. This is on top of the ones we just talked about. And mainstream media continues to ignore the massacres that are happening day in and day out in the occupied Palestine territory. This is in the West Bank, by the way. Check it out for yourself. This is just horrific. I mean, you just can't ignore what's going on here because the narrative has shifted here, guys. The Overton window has been broken in the Israeli conversation. So now they just don't even talk about it anymore. The main point that we keep trying to point out that Robert intelligently concludes in the bottom of this article, under the fourth Geneva Convention, an occupied people, which nobody argues is not the case. The UN has always maintained Palestine is occupied and so too have now the majority of the world. So under the fourth Geneva Convention, an occupied people, which is Palestine or Syria or Afghanistan or Iraq or any of these people, will they maintain the right, as the international community has always maintained, to use armed force to, in order to expel the illegal occupier. They have a right to armed rebellion. I think the term they use within the actual documents. So do you see why that's just the mic drop of that conversation? So yes, we agree they're occupied, period. Okay, so that means that no matter how this goes forward, the Israeli illegal occupation is the fault. So when they fire first, well, they have a right to because you're illegally occupying them. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go forward forever just justifying anything bad that happens. My point is that we have gone so far from the origin of this and they've manipulated so far, but we've come back now. They went from a point where Palestine didn't even ever exist <laughs> and everyone's a terrorist. And now we're realizing that was always false. Thank God. The Palestinians are still dying, just like Yemenis are still dying because the people in the military, the people in the Media apparatus are hiding this from you. But the people in Palestine continue to be shut up, shot down, put into a corner because the Israeli government is realizing they're losing control. And realize, again, how important it is, if you don't know, to realize why it's so important that this isn't Gaza. We're talking about the West Bank here, an area that was historically, like at least, you know, for the last how many decades have been, you know, considered the controlled part of this. Whereas Gaza was the day. Now this is spun out of control. You've got armed brigades in the West Bank who are pushing back against this. As Robert keeps telling you, we're looking at the rising of the next intifada. This is becoming in 
a, another revolution that morally it's never stopped, but it's important. Things are changing. And the people that have historically been framing themselves as the heroes of free speech, freedom, and democracy are the ones who have, we're now quickly beginning to see, if you haven't already noticed, who have been the ones stifling it the entire time. Now, on that other note of stifling, manipulation, I want to make two quick points. By the way, you guys noticed that Twitter did, the, they their font went super smaller. They've made some kind of weird update. I don't know why that would be even something anybody wants. Like, definitely you could increase the size of the sh screen, but that changes what you can see on the screen, which I noticed earlier. Anyway, just a weird point. So TLAV, the customer Wi-Fi at his job, op Opus points out, blocks my website. This is not the first time I've heard this, by the way. Now, that's not the company, by the way. I mean, I guess technically it could be, but I've seen this in a larger way, and I'm waiting to hear back, by the way. Let me see. Maybe no, no update yet. He says he couldn't finish my podcast because he went. He was trying to finish it at work, and they wouldn't let him watch it. Now, what's interesting about that is that depends on the company. So is that Comcast? Oh, sure hope that seeing as how I have my business internet account through them, which they, wouldn't surprise me because Comcast is mainstream. The point is that at some level, high up, it's being decided that my content is not allowed. But ask yourself why that is. Why then? Why, why are people like Russell Brand, Jimmy Dore? Why are they allowed on all these? But think about that for a second. I don't. You. I don't even. I'm saying I know what that means. But there is a difference there. Are we not covering similar content? What's different about what I'm doing? Just something to think about. Now, I think what's interesting, though, is that this is happening. So it just shows you that at some level, they're very aware that they want to shut this down in abstract and, and surreptitious ways. You know, if they wanted to come out and pretend I was breaking the law, well, they could just shut it down. He's violating the law. He's, he's doing X, Y, and Z. But they can't make that case, at least not right now, because I'm not. They could try to argue my words are violence. And they're building that narrative right now. But my, they're not, though, in every possible way. And also, my words are not even promotion of violence. Either way. It shows you that because I think I'm breaking through and re and showing people the true limitless <laughs> non-boundaries outside the two-party illusion, and rather the reverse of that, the controlled, completely lost, only you know binary worldview that is the two-party illusion. I think that's why. Now, next point. This is actually kind of disconcerting to me. This just somebody sent me this today. Apparently, there is somebody out there. I haven't even found out. Let me know if you guys know what this background, see what this is. Is that Discord? I haven't heard back from this person yet, but apparently there's somebody who is posing as me and writing comments in like a T-Lab chat somewhere. I wasn't able to tell if the top looked like Telegram or Discord. I couldn't tell. But check this out. Good. It's, uh, this is responding to something else they said. And this person who's posing as me says, I'm passing important information to all patriots following my channel. Yeah, you know I don't talk like that. <laughs> All patriots. Like, that's a that's a right-leaning thing, which we, even I argue is something I'm hoping is going to eventually realize that all of it's broken, not just the rhinos are part, you know, the, just Democrats and rhinos and, you know, it's all of it. Anybody in the system is not on your side. But it says, are you aware of the attack fast approaching? <laughs> you see, you guys know me better than this. I'm not, unless there was some sort of provable evidence of that, that's not something I would say. I would maybe say that I think that, but see, the problem is this person responds, not in detail, but I'm aware of the standard operating procedure, same crap, new day. So here's an obvious follower of our show that's the same way we think. Like, yeah, you know, the same psyop kind of stuff. I'm not buying their fast approaching attack and whatever. That's the that's the two-party paradigm BS. Now, this, this worries me, guys. Not only because this is the beginnings of some kind of internal manipulation of what they want the outward world to think that I am, but ultimately that this could escalate in the ways where they begin 
you know, saying things that they could try to use against me, legally speaking. Yeah, that's I guarantee this is where we're going in the, the very, you know, cornered animal kind of situation we're in with the way that we're all pushing the government and their narratives back against the wall. They're going to lash out. But just realize, guys, that, you know, I'm very I'm very clear about who I am and what I do and the kind of ways that I think. And I'm you know, I'm I will never shy away from making challenging, contentious, you know, unpopular arguments if I believe that it's the right thing to do. What I will never do is argue that things are definitely there without anything and be like, my sources say I can't show you. That's what this is. You can read to the rest of it. It's the same kind of thing. So I'll let you know when I hear more. But just know that by the on this actually on the same note, since I'm saying this, there's been I've already seen examples of people responding to emails that I never sent. <laughs> that's scary. I don't even know what to do about that. I asked my team and they're like, that's not even possible. I said, well, <laughs> you tell me someone responding going, thanks for reaching out. I'm like, what? That it's just I'm worried that there is efforts like that. And it's not just T-Lab, guys. Everybody out there who's pushing, who is really fighting against this right now has probably got similar, you know, <laughs> dossiers, agendas against them as well. Call me a conspiracy theorist. This is what they've done. Continuity of government history documentation. They have always cataloged and, and have dossiers on individual people like us as far back as you want to go, at least, you know, Reagan forward, where they openly discuss the beginnings of the shadow government in the context of, you know, having a parallel government should we have a problem that we can prove never went away. Right. So think about that. All that, all the conspiracy theory aside, I want to get into what I think is one of the most important points of today. And my God, this is really unnerving. Let's watch the whole video. I think it's eight minutes long or six minutes long. A great post by Brooke Jackson from today. Quarantine regulations and CDC authority. As I said, you're watching for yourself. Proudly declaring less regulation, not more, for the very entities that put us here right now. No longer even needing an emergency declaration which is probably the whole kind of FDA or EUAs never expire game they're playing right now. They can apprehend, they can apprehend you, they say, if they see fit. Great. So the CDC who's been caught lying repeatedly now just has to decide amongst themselves that you're a danger because of whatever thing they found. They just need their reasonable belief, that's what they said, that you're a risk. And then guess what? Not even your state can stop them, according to these people. Think about that. This is Georgetown law. I mean, the reason I say the state is, you know, there's plenty of states that'd be like, take them, good, they're bad, but go to a place like Florida, at least that's the perception. Well, for those that th think that your government, your local government's going to protect you, they may still try, but they're arguing that they're not even able to. This seems like a smaller version of the WHO treaty game. They're removing even states' rights at this level, guys. This is a manipulation. This is the same, these are the same entities who should be in jail, who are now giving themselves more power. And then uh, Teg Derp, Derp points out that Wisconsin already has draconian public health laws. And it, the point is that, again, so arguably Wisconsin would be one that wouldn't step in and so help you, to my point. So, I, and I agree, I'm glad they said this, though. You can check out the link for yourself. The point is there's plenty of states themselves right now that already have on the books, which sadly, I do think even Florida has legislation that within the fine print, not really fine print, but you know, within the legislation you could find where if they choose to acknowledge it, they can be like, well, we get to quarantine you because of X, Y, and Z. Most of these states have that. So it's problematic. So let's check, let's watch this video. Oh, actually, I forgot. I have to say what I was saying. I've been, I've been good about downloading, downloading these beforehand. <laughs> so I'm not on the, on the fly ad-libbing and trying to download them, but today was put together rapidly. So let's grab this quick video here. We'll watch this. 
And you know, it's just the the blithe way in which they they do they cover this too. Like, I mean, even if you agree that they didn't, even if you think that they didn't break any rules or lie or you know whatever else the CDC's clearly done throughout this process. Why do we think giving more power to the government in this situation, especially when most Americans are screaming the opposite, is the is what everybody wants? It's what you and your high level ivory tower circles want. That's the truth. Like this, I was just making this point about Pisaki on their MSNBC discussion the other day, talking about how you know, oh, look at them talking about the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop fake story, and they all chuckle and laugh. And you realize that most everybody understands that's not fake. You can argue there's politic politics around it. But there's been provable evidence put forward. Even the corporate media on the left has acknowledged that, yeah, there's clearly some something to this. And in their weird little, you know, sheltered circle where maybe they even don't know that they're wrong, they all laugh and high five and act like everybody sees it because they don't engage with the average person. They go home to their rich neighborhoods and drive in their rich cars and they talk to their rich friends and they all high five and pretend they all agree. They are completely out of touch. That And this is my point about how these people aren't even remotely informed. They think they are. I'm, not, I'm saying broadly, so there could be some of them that may be the bottom line in a general sense. The Pasakis, I argue, I know her name is Saki, or the, you know, K, the Pierre's or the Greens or any of the rest of these people we're talking about that they look, they they act like they know and think that they know, but they're being led along worse than anybody. So here is what they just decided going forward for the CDC. Um, this next one is for you, James. Uh, so the CDC published its final rule on the control of communicable diseases this past January 19th, um, and it was designed to help modernize previously antiquated policies regarding public health responses uh, to new and re-emerging communicable diseases. Now, what I love about that is like, okay, okay, good. Maybe they're realizing that lockdowns are antiquated and archaic and masks don't work. And okay, maybe they're finally realizing that they've been behind the down. No, no, they're going antiquated like we need more of it. So the answer to the failing thing is we need more of that failing thing. And then it'll work. <laughs> Typical government response. Don't you love it? So what does this new rule prescribe and how will it affect the balance of power between federal, state, and local entities responding to public health emergencies? Ah, but you see, there is no balance of power here, guys. There are states' rights and there's the federal government acknowledging those rights. What they're doing today is under the guise of danger, emergency. Not even that, though. You can tell just just hypothetical. Well, risk any somewhere. Therefore, we don't have to do. No, the federal government has been aggressively violating this for the as long as I can see things. Like, I mean, this is why we talk about things like the Bureau of Land Management being inherently unconstitutional. The entirety of everything that it is. The federal government has breached its own. The bottom line is the federal government, in my opinion, should even exist. I'm sure plenty of people out there won't even wrap their minds, won't be able to wrap their minds around that. But the point is that what the very least, there should not be the ability of the federal government to say that we can influence your decisions in this country other than upholding the Constitution. But you see, we are so far past that. You've got entire generations that have been and it have been completely hyped up on the idea that it should be the exact opposite for your safety, of course. And these people also believe somehow that the government's always there for their best interest. I guess they haven't read a book. Yeah, Lexi, that's intriguing. Just the way that's framed. How's it going to affect the balance of power in public health on some of the key, almost, you know, quintessential public health powers of isolation, quarantine, uh, other issues related to this? 
This is a seminal change you're seeing in relation to what CDC pushed through uh, without doubt right before the beginning of the Trump administration, following months of review for its specific draft proposals on January 19th, just days before the inauguration, this final rule from CDC goes into place. Now, listen, CDC has always had the power under various different federal acts to do issues related to quarantine, isolation, social distancing, surveillance. It's had these powers for years, but they were antiquated as affected in regards to regulations. This effort by what does that even mean, though, antiquated in, 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 a, in relation to regulations? Like, I, I'm, 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 even, I'm struggling to find out well, how does that even make sense? So if, is it that the regulations are hindering its ability to do what you want? Or is it like, you see what I mean? Like, I don't even understand how that makes sense. Like, they're just going, we just need to get rid of all of this and just give ultimate unfettered power to the people that clearly destroyed people's lives already today. Or, you know, that's three years. CDC to upgrade those regulations really does go a lot further than what we've seen before. It improves those regulations in so many different ways. And so we applaud CDC for clarifying a lot of what and how its agency working in, with state, local, and tribal officials can respond. Let me give you a couple highlights. This is exactly the sort of stuff I expect you may have questions on afterwards. And my panel members as well may have some outstanding comments to raise as well. Here are the highlights. First of all, these new regulations, though dense and at times a little difficult to follow and read, do a great job of actually laying out what federal agents at CDC, consistent with HHS, can do in relation to emergency preparedness legally in regards to surveillance activities, in regards to monitoring activities, and in regards to apprehension, quarantine, and isolation authority. Things that were not well spelled out before have been now. That's a very significant improvement. And so a couple areas of expansion that we saw in relation to this are quite important to realize. First of all, surveillance and monitoring. CDC is all over that, not just at airports, as you know, with their quarantine stations and such. At every major transit hub in the United States, CDC is now authorized bus stations, train stations, any transit hub, any interstate movement of individuals, or as per this now rule uh, with effect, even purely intrastate movement of individuals within transit-related purposes. CDC can now approach in relation to some of the implementation of these powers. So that surveillance monitoring has always been there. It'll be strengthened by this rule. Let's focus on the Oh, so and surveillance monitoring, you know, what what uh, Walensky just claimed they don't have. We don't know who has vaccinations in the hospitals. <laughs> like, if she doesn't know that, that's very scary in its own right. But clearly they do. And I've I made a whole, tweet, a whole point about the pharmacovigilance, Monsef Salawi and Operation Warp Speed. So he, either he was blatantly lying, I guess is certainly possible, or she has no idea or she's lying. <laughs> Just con constantly lying or contradicting everything. They're, you know, they do. They seem to lie and deceive about everything possible, which is why they seem to kind of contradict previous lies. The social distancing powers. That's what got interesting fast. And it's where CDC took a lot of comments, 15,000 plus, in relation to crafting this final rule. Ah, now here's what I find very interesting, guys. You know how they often put this out and they go, oh, submit your comments. And, you know, we'll post the ones we think are appropriate, which always, which typically, I mean, always seems to mean that they remove any that challenge, you know, that say the kind of things that we would want to be expressed. The real information, the real, real you know, important questions. But what I want you to think about is as they ignore the ones they don't want average people to see, they also then include all of them as a body of number, to, as, a, as a full number, to make it sound like we had 15,000 people input. 
that we listened to and that influenced our outcome. No, it didn't. Really? They had 15,000 comments they probably broadly ignored, and then they promote those as the reason that you gave input. So just like always, they're using the illusion of you, you know, I bet you 10,000 of those comments were screaming that they were breaking the law, that they're criminals. doesn't matter, though. They still point at 15,000 of them and say they're all in influencing the outcome because they were working with the people. That's how that works, guys. Now, I'm not trying to say that it's all of it, everybody, all the time. I'm not, it's, you know, but by and large, people in authority, as we should know by now, lie and manipulate. That's what, that's what they do, which is funny, actually. Just, just maybe think of this clip. My father told me when I was a child, people in authority lie. And we all, if we are going to continue to live in a democracy, we need to understand that people in authority lie. People in authority will abuse every power that we relinquish to them. Now, we don't really live in a democracy, unfortunately. We should have a constitutional or rather, you know, a, a constitutional republic, really. Either way, people in authority lie. That's just what they do. I mean, this is this is what and you could argue it's even for good reasons. Lying for, you know, whatever. But the problem is that they're constantly manipulating. Now, in this case, the, what my point was is that they use your, you know, submission of things they might not even look at to argue that you agree with them, essentially. We're talking now about the ability of an agency with 9,000 employees to actually systematically apprehend, apprehend, isolate, and quarantine Americans with or without state and local input in relation to who should be isolated wow. and or quarantined under what circumstances. Listen to that again input in relation to with or without and isolate an agency with 9,000 employees to actually systematically apprehend, isolate, and quarantine Americans with or without state and local input in relation to who should be isolated and or quarantined under what circumstances. Mostly reserved for public health emergency circumstances like Jim was talking about, but the emergency creep the, uh, factor of this is also at play that Jim was mentioning nicely. CDC doesn't have to declare some state of emergency, nor does HHS or the public health emergency issuance to use these powers. It's enough that they have reasonable belief that somebody within the United States or coming in through our international borders may present a specific illness or condition for which would otherwise result in quarantine or isolation measures. So they guess. They don't even need to prove it. They need the reasonable, reasonable belief. These are the people that have been caught lying, conflating flu and pneumonia, using false PCR cycle thresholds or altering them depending on how they want it to look, lying about the body of data based on the time frame so it looked like less people were vaccinated. These people are giving them the reasonable de They will make anything they want. Oh, he's got the sniffles. Let's get, well, and he also has this kind of political leanings. Let's take him in. You really think that some level somebody at the lower land wouldn't do that? He's wearing a red hat. Let's take him in. I maybe then and look, you could even argue that they would argue, oh, well, that probably that means he's probably less secure. He probably doesn't wear a mask. He's probably not vaccinated. Well, therefore, logically, we should check him out first. You know how politics has bled into literally everything we're dealing with. Now, the, even that aside, regardless of politics, to give authority like this to the kind of to and there the whole point of how the states' rights and these different levels of of I guess checks and balances were supposed to be used or the reason that they're there is to stop this kind of all encompassing high level authoritarian power. It's crazy to me. And I was going to say it at the end, but just, just, just guess what? This is not even a new video guys.
we're living in this right now. That's a substantial in, uh, sort of new breadth of power that CDC can use unilaterally, whether state or local governments like it or not. CDC can now do this. So you say, OK, that's a little bit. Yeah, and the point is, then your state can't do anything about that. That's not only unconstitutional. I mean, that 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 is we're living in in this is totalitarian. That's what it is concerning. They can apprehend for 72 hours. They can isolate or quarantine. There are very good due process protections in place, neatly written out in the rule process protections that are essential to making sure this can survive constitutional scrutiny. Ah, got it. So it's not about actually protecting your your constitutional rights. It's about making sure that should they care to push, we can make it look, you know, like what he just said there is, it, it, well, let me just, let me get the exact wording again. <clears throat> process protections that are essential to making sure this can survive constitutional scrutiny. The word's important. <clears throat> he said, so it can survive constitutional scrutiny. That's not the kind of thing you say when you care about constitutional right. That is a pro that is a hurdle to overcome. We've written this so it can survive scrutiny by those that care about the Constitution. I mean, I don't even know he realizes the way he said that is if, if, the way it sounds, because it's very clear. That is simply a problem for them. That gets in the way of what they want to do. But we've made sure the bare minimum we can survive constitutional scrutiny. I mean, but how do you even argue that when in its inherent state it is unconstitutional? That's just, that's just lip service, so you think they care, as always. Unquestionably. But there's a couple problems, too. <laughs> I like it. Thanks for agreeing with me. Unquestionably, Ryan. Good, good, good comment. Like Larry was quick to point out, there's good news, but the problems may surface. Here's one of them. That reasonable belief standard I just mentioned. CDC can apprehend, can isolate or quarantine for a brief period of time, 72 hours or so, based on the reasonable belief that somebody presents with an illness that may be sufficient for purposes of it landing on that list of quarantinable conditions. And this is what lip service looks like, right? You know, so the rules that they're already happening, <laughs> they're already being used. Here's one of the concerns we had, but didn't really care about because it's already happening. Well, let's talk about that and let you know that we cared enough to talk about it, but it's happening already though. Supreme Court's never approved that standard. Yeah, exactly. They're looking for a higher standard of clear and convincing sort of evidence or something stronger than the reasonable belief of a federal agent that somebody may fit within that list, that will be problematic. And then there's the due process issue related to the purely internal assessment of these concerns through CDC agents only. They have not sought any outside input in relation to when and where it can use these powers. Sure sounds like democracy, doesn't it? Sure sounds like a republic, huh? So if you're subject to apprehension or isolation pursuant to this quarantine uh, rule as in, put into place, it will be CDC agents alone making those determinations. Again, generally through due process, we're looking for some level of outside confirmation for something as serious as a physical restraint of your personal liberty. These could be tripping points. Beyond that? Right, again, again, tripping points. Like, so you're outlining how this could literally undermine the liberty of Americans, and that's a tripping point. So the argument is not how do we not let that happen. The argument is how do we avoid the tripping point? How do we get over this hurdle and maintain what we want? It's very on the surface. We're watching the, cult, the, the collection of power at the top. I mean, don't forget. Like, let's, let's go. And again, I, wanted to make, uh, I believe that uh, Taylor Hudak is going to be interviewing Sasha uh, Latipova either today or tomorrow. That'll be coming out soon. And that's the, one of the reasons why I haven't gone to like dove into this on the show yet. I wanted to make sure that that was kind of I want the interview to be done so I can use that as the basis for our conversation. But it's an interesting point that we've been talking about even before that.
as he, Whitney Webb and myself have talked about this, the DOD operation warp speed, the overlap there, how it was always a military DOD operation from the very beginning. It still is. And so the whole FDA argument about theater and all that is a very valid point to be made, especially since we can see as they're just breaking every rule. And that's one of the points about this collection of power where we're watching this shift and we still pretend we've got all these regulators, but it's not. It's not the real case. Same thing here. If we now have a CDC agency that's able to unilaterally make these decisions regardless of anything else, we live in an illusion, guys. This is where we need to understand. It doesn't mean we've lost. But every moment, these kind of power, these power-hungry, power-grabbing authoritarian technocrats continue to scoop it all in under a guise of keeping you safe because of a very small percentage of people that are actually still scared, who they argue is the majority. Until we stop that, this is going to continue. We need to make sure people recognize they are the majority, and we do see this, and we can't allow this to continue. Some of what you're seeing in the new CDC rule is a really great improvement over what was in place. But the potential for it to act outside of local or federal, or I'm sorry, state or tribal authorities, even knowing the CDC intervening, that could be trouble down the road too. Yeah, yeah, it can be trouble. It'll give us some pushback, but I'm sure we already have 37 arguments for that when that comes to pass. You know, danger, conspiracy theorist, white supremacy, longer, whatever they're going to say, climate change, whatever they're going to scream when that something happens they don't want to talk about. How infuriating this is. But it's very concerning, isn't it? This is the kind of mindset of these people. And this is not just the bio direction. We're talking climate change kind of stuff. We, 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 Derek and I just talked about the, the geoengineering discussion in Mexico. I uh, just might as well grab it. It's a good article. And the point in this is that these, these individuals, it was a U.S. company who executed a geoengineering uh, a program in Mexico illegally without without the consent of the country. And it's the reason Mexico stood up and said, we want to stop geoengineering in this country if they actually mean it. But the point is that what he says at the bottom or what he says at the bottom of the article, what he says about this is that he considers himself an activist, an extremist for climate change to the point to where he doesn't care that he broke the law. That's where their minds are at. They've been so They've been, they believe so strongly that we're going to die in 30 seconds that they're going to take the kind of action that is that these are the people that are being radicalized, guys. They point at the average person who just wants to protect their rights as being radicalized because what's actually happening is the people who believe they're fighting for stopping climate change or LBGBQ or they're wildly radicalized right now. Militant, radicalized people who are willing to do anything to stop you because they've been convinced that the world's going to end if they don't. It's, it's it's alarming. Now, the point is here, and that, but, but again, on the same note, that doesn't mean that we don't have very serious problems. The only thing is the group, that the, the people that they're act, they're, the very people we just outlined who believe the world's going to end, they're pointing at us instead of the group, the government, who they're fighting with, who are actually the ones trying to end the planet. <laughs> That's the crazy part about it. But as it says down here, he believes that he is a, where was it? I think it's right here. it is he says it's an act of geoengineering activism that's what he called it so not just a company he believes he's doing something for his activism for climate change he also said that within the company he says we joke slash not joke that this is partly a company and partly a cult so it like they're it open they're proud that they're in a cult mind mindset because they've been convinced it's the right mindset so it, it's it's self-confirming certainly pat each other on the head and they feel good about it this is the kind of problem that we have. 
So same thing with this. Power is collecting and these people are abusing the problems and they are continuing to act out in irrational ways and framing everybody else as losing their minds. Now, this brings us to the next kind of push on all this, but I wanted to make sure we saw, again, reference, I, I use this to push this out again. Dr. Malone put out an interview he did, the title being, Dr. Malone reveals study by Fauci admitting mRNA vaccines hardly work. Now, this is the same thing, we, this is the discussion we just had. Uh, I believe the post is right here. Or no, I didn't inc include it, I don't think, maybe it was beneath it. Yeah, right there. We just had this conversation, Fauci's quiet cop-out, that's what it was about. As I said, here's the Cell article, which we'll point out real quick so you can see it again. This article came out on April 11th. April. Or no, I keep saying that. I'm thinking of the old, not April, but January. <laughs> the last month. I don't know what April keeps popping into my head. Right here, January 11th. So a month ago, this article comes out where Fauci admits this doesn't work. And why is it still happening then? Think about that. Like, is now Fauci a conspiracy theorist because he said the wrong thing? It's certainly possible with how broken these people's minds are. Nothing is sacred. But here's the Cell article. It came out in April, and yet the mainstream media ignored it. Don't they trust the science? Such cowards they are. Fauci can say this, yet the push continues. T-Lab reviewed this on earlier this week, and I'll, the link is below. I just showed you, and we'll come back to this. This is Fauci talking about gain of function. It's important. We'll come back to that. But here's the article, January 11th. Just again, to reiterate, what this says, read the whole thing, because I went through this entirely on the show. On the show, and it, There's some very damning stuff in here. It says, concluding remarks, durably protective vaccines against non-systemic mucosal respiratory viruses. Prime point here, as Bhakti and plenty of others were screaming, everybody knows this will not stop a respiratory virus because it does not create mucosal immunity. Everybody knows that. Fauci knows that. They all know that. Why did nobody say anything? They do know it because clearly they're now arguing that's why this didn't work. So if someone like Bhakti can go on corporate media and tell us that wouldn't work, tell you if you take these in March 2020, that you'll take them to your doom, a highly educated, highly credentialed individual, he was not guessing, he's not a conspiracy theorist, he didn't just guess luckily, he saw what we all keep telling you was there. So Fauci can come out and admit that this is one of the reasons it didn't work. That means he knew that and hid it from you. Durably protective vaccines against non-systemic mucosal respiratory viruses with high mortality rates have thus far eluded vaccine development efforts. So first point, that includes right now. So it didn't work. Not because of anti-vaxxers or variant, but because this, this break, this design did not work. He says, we must better understand why multiple sequential mucosal infections with the same circulatory and respiratory viruses spread out over decades of life Failed to elicit natural protective immunity. Now, I got into that in a different part of this. Yes, watch the show. I go into the questioning that in general about the flu and maybe the, the previous vaccination campaigns had a something to do with that. But either way, it says, if we are to rationally develop vaccines that prevent them, as in meaning we have not done that right now. You know this, we know this, but he's finally saying that. Past unsuccessful attempts to elicit solid protection against mucosal respiratory viruses, which COVID-19 is one, and to control the deadly outbreaks and pandemics they cause have been a scientific and public health failure that must urgently be addressed. Apparently not by the corporate media or the government. But then he just kind of ridiculously adds, that you know, we're so excited and invigorated to watch people basically break down and rethink what we've done. <laughs> Highly doubt that. Either way, 
this is an admission, guys. This is the, this is saying that the, the platform system we designed, at least at this moment, is not working. Well, entirely arguing that we just need more time and more effort. Next generation vaccines, which they're currently working on. Hell no. Run screaming, guys. And I think that's where most people are at right now. Anthony Fauci, right there. So back to the point is that this was him admitting this back in April. Dang it, I keep doing that. January, in January. There's a previous study that was about April. I don't know why I keep confusing that. In January of last month. And yet this continues. I just think that's absolutely staggering. Right now, this is the CDC. This is posted yesterday. So despite all of the evidence we have that I'm not even going to get into today, the numerous peer-reviewed studies finding that the specifically the bivalent not only has much higher incidence of serious adverse events, that it has that it doesn't have that it, that the efficacy is less, that it doesn't last as long, that it has all sorts of other deleterious effects, including the general point that the BMJ point out that the mandates for these, in a general sense, would create a net harm, because ultimately, uh, not even discussing the mandates, that it takes to prevent one hospitalization, not a death, but one hospitalization. They estimated it would take up, up to 42,000 plus young adults, each getting three mRNA shots to stop one COVID hospitalization, which would then in turn cause, as they estimate, which I guarantee is higher in my opinion, at least 18.5 serious adverse events. It means hospitalization, death, and permanent disability. So you're trading off possible prevention of one hospitalization for 18.5 possible death hospitalization. That's a net harm. That's Garrett's. That's... <laughs> I mean, what? That's almost 19 times the problem in the context of specific hospitalization. But this is incredible. Read it for yourself. This was recently put out, peer-reviewed. And so here's what the CDC is saying yesterday. A new CDC study, of course, finds that people aged 12 years or older who got an updated, so the bivalent shot, were less likely to get infected or die from COVID compared to those who did not get specifically the updated shot. So not only does that challenge, I mean, literally every study that we can point at right now and challenge Fauci's general point about how the entire system is not working and challenge the British Medical Journal's peer-reviewed gigantic study that finds the exact opposite. But it generally points out the opposite of what we've known about these injections from the very beginning. And it doesn't even talk about the myocarditis or the, the fact that these 12 years, uh, rather almost all of them, are at less risk than the flu under 69 years old. That doesn't matter, apparently, because they don't because they care about informed consent. Think about how crazy that is. Here's the net harm substack post that Scott put out. Peer-reviewed science shows COVID injection harm outweighs potential benefits. And he goes into much more than just that one study. There's a lot of good studies in here that he put together to understand the real risks of all of this. And then we have Fauci, interestingly, talking about gain of function in, context, in the context of H5N1, which I think is very relevant today, don't you? Seeing as how that seems to be the next thing they're talking about. Well, let's take a look at that. 1405. Make sure I got it right. Okay. Let's see if it's loud enough. Yeah. Okay, good. Dr. Tony Fauci. 
Nine years ago. Nine years ago, 2013. Thank you very much, Harvey. It's a great pleasure to be here with you this morning. Uh, I want to take this opportunity, uh, as you see on this first slide, <clears throat> to first welcome you all. I know I see so many friends and colleagues in the room who have traveled a great distance to be here with us today to discuss this extraordinarily important topic. So I do think it's important that just, just the idea that they've openly done gain-of-function research on H5N1 is relevant. It doesn't matter if it was 2012, 2010. It still very well could be what they're pointing at today. Possible. That's it. But also to give a brief overview, as Harvey said, uh, a considerable amount of the activity that goes on in this area from a research standpoint comes from the NIH and NIAID. As you know, we're part of the Department of Health and Human Services, as is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who also have a considerable amount of contributions, both from a public health surveillance as well as from a research standpoint in the topic for today, which is gain-of-function research on highly pathogenic avian influenza H5N1. Interesting. So what I'd like to do is to give you a perspective historically, briefly, but historically, about how we got here today to discuss with you in an open forum represented by many different perspectives in the questions that we'll be asking today. So from the standpoint of research in general, uh, we at the NIH and the CDC have been involved in the study of influenza literally for decades and decades. I don't need to tell this audience, but I know there are those who are listening in who may not have the historical perspective, is that seasonal influenza itself is an extraordinary threat to global health, resulting in approximately a half a million deaths per year worldwide. And here's where we can point out the continual manipulation of this topic. In fact, here, here's... oops. Wrong button. Here's where we'll go to this, actually. So this is what I was going to show at the end of these clips, but just relevant here. This is the WHO yesterday telling you that we must prepare for a potential H5N1 human bird flu pandemic right now. My point was, well, H5N1 was, in fact, one of the previous pandemics of fear, literally quoted as such by the WHO itself in 2011. Quote, the exaggerated claims of severe public health threats stemmed primarily from disease advocacy by influenza experts. Oops, I forgot the S in there. I've shown you guys this many, many, many times. Oh, this is actually the different document. The one I've shown you is this one. Archive. I'll read this first and I'll show you. So, we, oh, there you go. Came up already. This is the one I've shown you many times. This is just a different variation of the document put out somewhere else. This one, though, you guys, you can see. In both pandemics of fear. And this, there's a reason why this is deleted from the WHO website today. 2011, WHO. And they're talking about H5N1 and H1N1, both. The repeated pandemic health scares of both were simply part of a culture of fear. Telling. In both of the pandemics of fear... The exaggerated claims of severe public health threats stem primarily from disease advocacy by influenza experts, just like Dr. Fauci. In fact, that's who they're basically talking about. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that specifically, but in the general sense that he that the time frame we're talking about, he'd be the guy. The pharmaceutical industry and the media only reacted to this welcome boon. We therefore need fewer, not more pandemic preparedness plans or definitions. They clearly saw it, guys. 
The one part down here was disease experts who wish to capture public attention and sway resource allocation decisions in favor of the disease of their interest. It's just so transparent. This is just the same post right here. You can see health is more than influenza. Same people. And then since we're bringing it up, this is the other one that I constantly point out, which you guys can read for yourselves. It's a rapid response from a member of a doctor for the HH for reaching out to the HHS on the same topic. Literally on influenza deaths request for correction, talking about how the CDC acknowledges a difference between flu and flu associated deaths, yet they use them interchangeably. Just like today, they use that for COVID and COVID influence death, and they conflate flu and pneumonia in the same way. As we pointed out before, over 62,000 lives in 2001 were supposedly because of flu and influenza, but only but 61,777 of them were pneumonia, while only 257 were flu, and only 18 of those were actually identified. The point is that they push at the last summit in 2004 that we need to increase demand for flu. And the argument, as you can read right here, as stated by the HHS, or rather posted on the HHS, was their seven-step recipe for generating interest in and demand for the flu and other vaccinations. Not whether they needed to, but just whenever they wanted to, that they would experts would publicly state concern and alarm and urge influence of vaccination. Like literally, they argue whether or not there's a problem. This is what we should do because, well, we know it's in their best interest, as that's what they say anyway. So back to this point where you've got people literally pointing out that H5N1 is going to be the next thing, even though the WHO was telling us back then that even then it was not what they said it was. And then we go back to Fauci himself in 2012, or rather 13, it was posted, but this is 2012 on the slide, arguing exactly what we now know is not true. Think about that. Realize that Fauci knew this when he put this up here. 2018 H1N1. 2000, uh, what was it? H5N1 was the one he's talking about in general now. Right. The problem here is that even going back to 1918, that was 90. I mean, that was predominantly like the vast, vast majority, even according to Fauci, pneumonia, not flu. And yet we still conflate that to this day. Now, I argue the mask very clearly played a factor there. That wasn't discussed in Fauci's study, but I do think that's part of it. So either way. I just think it's very interesting. They still hype these pandemics of fear that even their internal people call pandemics of fear when they want to hype the next thing. Now, that doesn't mean that, therefore, this couldn't change into something dangerous. But then we need to ask whether the gain of function and experiments that they were doing or currently are overseas are playing a factor here or if it's another complete fabrication. Every once in a while, unpredictably, we have a pandemic. History has shown us that pandemics. Now, just to be clear, the, two, the H1N1 2009, that's the one they were referring to in the pandemics of fear, just to be clear. And almost certainly will continue to occur on this slide you see the history from the last century and this century of the now iconic pandemic influenza of 1918 which killed between 50 and 100 million people a serious pandemic in 1957 now i'm going to pause it right there now don't forget by the way that in 1918 as even general pershing admitted it was on the record they knew this was happening in the war and they didn't want to stop the war effort. So they kept putting people back out. They were sick and they kept spreading it. And that was predominantly why this spread around the world. It's it, This is all basically documented as, the, as it was called the Spanish flu because Spain was the first country to just openly say it was happening. Literally like we talk about today. Same thing with China. Right? It's the, game, the same game that gets played every time. Now you can prove it actually started in Kansas in the United States from, I, I forget if it was Fort Detrick or Fort... I forget the fort all of a sudden, but it was from a military fort in the United States. <laughs> Stated, documented history. It's just hilarious, and we still call it the Spanish flu. So going to the next one, which was 
uh, this one here, 2149. Okay. Gain of function research is integral to infectious diseases research, or otherwise known as dual purpose weapons research. That's the reality. It's of surveillance, vaccines, and therapeutics, specifically to gain of function research on HPAI H5N1. What we're talking about now is the gain of function research in studies that increase predominantly the transmissibility, as was is the case that I'm going to get into in a moment, as well as pathogenesis and alteration of host range of the virus. Right. So they made it more transmissible and more deadly. Because that helped anybody? Right? I mean, how do you explain that? Was that then what happened later? Or is that what we're you know, dealing with today? Plenty of people like Doc Francis Boyle will tell you that's what he thinks. Now, the reason we are here today in this room with H5N1, highly pathogenic influenza, and we're not in this room discussing so many of the other gain of function research that we do right is because don't miss that and that never stopped either they just outsourced it as we've proven a thousand times over naturally occurring hpai h5n1 viruses cause a reported almost 60 percent mortality in humans which triggered a concern understandably clearly that if you give a gain of function of a pathogenic virus to make it more transmissible, that's a whole different story than some of the other things we faced. So let's get down to what happened very briefly. You know, historically, and I'm gonna go very quickly through the historical perspective that brought us here today. There were studies done by two NIH, NIAID funded investigators, Ryan Fouché and Yoshi Kawaioka, in which H5N1, a strain from Indonesia and a strain from Vietnam, were altered in a gain of function, either by direct mutation or by reassortment. And what does that look like to you guys? Does that resemble the Pfizer story discussion of directed evolution? It does, because that's what it is. They're talking about infecting naturally between animals in the lab, directed specific strains in order to modify it in the ways that they want to. You can't miss that. Now, it's not a secret. We know this is they they simply argue they just don't do it anymore, which we know isn't true. We know they've said that before and it wasn't true then. The real question is just simply whether or not we are watching it happen in front of us and whether it's going to happen again. And by passage in ferrets, the mammal model for this virus for humans, there was an increase in, in fact, in a, 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 a development of aerosol transmissibility in a mammal, which this particular virus did not have. Because of that, this triggered concern. This was after the experiments had been done and after they had been submitted to the journals. And from this uh, press statement, we put it before our National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity here at NIH, which is representative and advisory to the entire department of HHS, as well as to other agencies. And the conclusion was made, and this is critically important for us to understand. And I, and I take this right out of the statement that came from the NSABB, that due to the importance of the findings to the public health and research communities, the NSABB recommended that the general conclusions highlighting the novel outcome be published 
but the manuscript did not include methodologic and other details that could enable replication of the experiments by those who would seek to do harm. Ah, and here is an important point. What does that tell you? That these things are not just dangerous when they flip a dangerous switch, but they're always dangerous. And the only thing that they tell you that it's important, well, they don't intend to do harm. Okay, great. So that, I guess, doesn't include the potential of a mistake or, or a, an individual action that goes outside of that discussion, or just that you're all lying and you all want to do harm. Yeah, let's just pretend this is not exactly what it looks like, that it is dual purpose and that it is a weapon, depending on whose hands that it is, that it ends up in or is in currently. The same thing's happening in Ukraine. We can't pretend like those are just research labs because they're both, guys. They could be research labs and they can also be weapons depending on who wants to use it. Like, I don't know, dangerous neo-Nazis, you know, just putting one out there. So the idea that they pretend this is not exactly what he just said is ridiculous. They made these things dangerous and then they, they went so far as to not even post how they got there because, well, if somebody else did it, well, that could be a weapon. So it's also a weapon when you do it. No, fake news. <laughs> it's just it's just childish. So we're pretending that the very people that historically have done horrible atrocities around the world are not going to do it today. Now, I'm not pretending it's the exact same people, but we understand the history. Fauci himself, going back to the HIV AIDS discussion, there is a lot here to understand of what they're capable of. It also was discussed that might accidentally be released. So it is not just people who would deliberately do harm. As Sally mentioned, following that, there was an explosion of reaction, sometimes bordering on the very extreme, as shown by this editorial from the New York Times, an engineered doomsday. Now, I'm going to leave it there for the sake of conversation today, or just for the you know, just because that's the point. But what I want you to notice is that even even there, Fauci is calling them extreme for pointing out what we all now know. And the reason is because they knew that they had coverage then. Most people didn't even know this was happening in 2012. This wasn't public then. I mean, in the sense of being published, I mean, it might have been there. The point is that it wasn't getting the kind of reach that it is today. So the New York Times even comes out and says, basically what they just did is what an engineer doomsday, because that's what it is. Just because they don't say they're going to doesn't mean they can't make a mistake or have intentions and they're lying about it. And the point is he called them extreme for pointing this out. And then two years later, they canceled the entire gain of function effort. Not really because it was dangerous. So were they extreme? Or was he already in the early phases of trying to shut down, push down, push back against his dangerous research? Think about that, guys. This is now, and now again, realize that we're talking about today, the, eight, the WHO telling us that we must prepare for the H5N1 human bird, pan, bird flu pandemic, despite already being told that this specific, this discussion in the past has already been used to scare people and be lied about. Think about that. Hmm. Now, a couple last points here, and then I'm going to get into the mask discussion to pretty much finish. Just one example of just blatant misinformation. Actually, oh, I didn't even know I included that. I, I referenced it earlier in the show. Dr. Walensky basically saying, even today, I can't tell you how many people have been vaccinated in the hospital. <laughs> I just said, this is just blatantly, knowingly false, or she's unaware of that, which is almost more concerning. Operation Warp Speed, clearly outlined its pharmacovigilance for every dose given, otherwise known as safety surveillance. These are aggressively tracked. They know how many have been given. Now, that's just one aspect of the tracking, by the way. 
but just for her, this seems like an effort to under downplay what they're aware of. So when this really comes to light, they can be like, oh, we're just now seeing this. That's what I would guess. But on the mask conversation, honestly, this is not even going to be that, that in I, I feel like this has been so ridiculously covered and shut down so many times, but I still want to make sure we see this. As Dr. J. Bhattacharya points out, it has been disheartening to watch one once reputable experts discount the Cochrane Review's negative verdict, which we've already pointed at. We'll go show, show you again, or let's just generally give you the points of it. And the point is that, so Cochrane Review, which is a highly respected outlet, comes out and tells you that ma masking is not working. It doesn't have an effect that you think it does. And essentially, it gets attacked, just like everything else. The BMJ says the wrong thing. They're suddenly a health blog. I mean, it just, it takes a special kind of stupid to moment to moment pretend that things can be the highest level of research to then suddenly being something we should disregard. It's just, that's, that's ignorance, guys. But as he says again, I'll read the disheartening to watch one once reputable experts discount the Cochrane Review's negative verdict on community masking to prevent COVID spread in favor, again, of low quality evidence. They point to a, a preprint or an observational study. You cannot point to those when in being confronted with 78 random controlled trials. At the very least, it, it, you have, and I'm not, I, still to this point, even without that massive meta analysis, I'm still arguing that it's just the body of evidence. Tomorrow it could change. Something could happen. More research could come out. The bottom line is that's never been what the other side is doing. They simply tell you that, nope, here's the thing. You're fake. Mass work. You're a liar. And every new study that comes out, they go, no, there. here's why we shouldn't even look at it. That's not trusting the science. That's ignoring the science in favor of what your narrative is. The problem is that the evidence of 78 random controlled trials in a massive meta-analysis, which I'll show you, that goes over all of this, should be the current standing. The body of work is clear, but the scientific method is always evolving. And that's the point. Here is what we're seeing in the corporate discussion. The conversation says, yes, yes, masks reduce the risk of spreading COVID. Now, what I think they're really leaning into at this point is anything, anything. Like they're not going to come out and say they're statistically significant at reducing transmission. I don't think because that would be wrong <laughs> but when they say they reduce the risk of spreading covid like you could argue that by simply blocking the spittle that there's a, a 0 0.1 0.01 percent reduction of x y and z sure you could argue that standing behind a door all day would do that too the point is it's not statistically significant the door is the same point even because these things don't just stop they spread around they aerosolize in different ways especially when you're wearing a mask that's the one point they don't ever get into there's been endless amounts of peer-reviewed studies that have shown you that the mask, in fact, actually aerosolizes this and makes it worse for both you and those around you. But who cares about the facts, though, right? The point is that they're going to pretend and lean into that, yes, it does reduce it to arguably, but they're going to, and if you really got pushed to it in some sort of like present presenting of their evidence, it's probably going to be, you know, well, it's common sense because it does block this, which then therefore has some effect. Okay, well, is it st statistically significant? No. So what are we talking about? especially when you realize that it definitely increases your risk of infection, causes all sorts of other problems like hypercapnia, hypoxia, bacterial infections. I mean, my God, it's ever, I've, I've gone over this endlessly. But it says the question of whether and to what extent face masks work to prevent respiratory infections such as COVID and influenza has split the scientific community for decades. No, it hasn't. Not even remotely. And this is the absurd, this is the recreating reality of the COVID narrative we've seen more than ever. Prior to COVID, it was almost, you now, I mean, across the board, 
There are studies going back to like the 60s or even before that that found that without masks, in fact, they saw an, a, a better situation. That doesn't mean that they proved that they that no mask made things better. There was they they argued there was probably some kind of an anomaly, but it could have. That's the, one of the earliest ones. But then you saw study after study after study continue to find not statistically significant in reducing transmission, including the CDC's own meta-analysis. Oh, this is the wrong one. Son of a gun. Hold on. I grabbed the wrong one. I have it right here. Hold on one second. Let me grab it. I believe it should be right there. Nope. This one. One second. This is this is one of the important points because this was one of the very first things that we pointed at in this whole thing. Come on now. Apologies. Bear with me. I know it's in here. <laughs> and this is what I meant in the beginning. Give, give me the benefit of the doubt here as we get this set up. I, I swear it must have been in here somewhere. I don't know how I'm missing that. That's crazy. Well, anyway, let me see if I can find it over here. I think I've got it in here. Let's see. Masks. Gosh, that's frustrating. Let me do this. I don't know how I grabbed the wrong one. So it's going to start with this. Let me see if I can do that. There it is. Gotcha. Nice. Okay. So keep with the thread, keep with the thought process where we were, that, <laughs> that they're trying to act like for decades, the community has been split on what's actually go. Nope, not true. May 2020, May of 2020, guys, right in the beginning of all of this manipulation, the CDC did a massive meta-analysis. That, I mean, that in the beginning should have at least put this to bed in the conversation that this is what the consensus is at the moment. But they just got attacked with some new study that was observational and said, nope, that's the one. We're going to ignore all the previous work. And now they do the reverse. Now they ignore all the body of evidence and point. It's, it's or rather that anyway, I'm getting confusing the point. May 2020. And you'll find, as we said, right in the beginning of this. In fact, I think I did a, a show right around this time frame, May, the month after something like that. And as you'll see. In this, they identified 10 random controlled trials. The meta-analysis, all of them, and it found in pooled analysis that they found no significant reduction in influenza transmission. Now, yes, they use that and ILI, influenza-like illness, which I've already proven based on the Cochrane review, which I'll show you right now, does include COVID-19 with ILI. That's always been the case because it's an influenza-like illness, which includes COVID-19. That was just a way to early on pretend like this had no bearing on COVID. It was a childish move, and even the experts went to with it because they wanted to. But the overall reduction in influenza-like illness or laboratory-confirmed influenza cases in the face mask group was not significant in either studies. They go over seven household studies, all lab studies, all these different studies. And the point is, none of them had a significant reduction in secondary laboratory-confirmed influenza. Most And then the last part, it says, where was it? Yeah, see, they've added stuff to this since then. But that was the general point, guys, that their main study for masks found there was not a statistical significant, statistically significant reduction. So they're lying when they say that. They're just recreating what they now say was the truth before. This is the, they're create as they say, the history is written by the winning hand, right? So they have argued, they're tr pretend that they've taken control of this that we all agree that this has been the case when you can prove that wasn't true. It says, although there is strong evidence face masks 
significantly reduce transmission of infection. That's really what they're saying right now. And realize that they're actually pointing at the Cochrane Review when they say this. Although there's strong evidence that face masks significantly reduce transmission. That's just blatantly false. What I'll show you is the leading body of all the highest level, random controlled, gold standard work, 78 of them in fact, that find literally the opposite. So if you want to point at some observational studies or compile far less than that of less level studies and say that that is strong evidence of significantly, you're lying. My argument is that I bet you the authors didn't even look at this stuff. They just repeated what the government tells them to say. It says, but some experts do not agree. You mean the consensus? Yeah, it doesn't agree. An updated Cochrane Review published last week is the latest to su suggest, gotta love how pathetic that is, face masks don't work in the community. However, there are problems with the review's methodology. I just love how they always go, you know, you could, you could make points about this all day long. What's interesting, though, is when you break down the methodology flaws, if you want to call it that, otherwise known as lies when you understand the full picture of like the Lancet and different groups that have knowingly hid things like origin discussions or ivermectin discussions or any number of things, natural immunity. They have gone out of their way to misrepresent the truth, hide methodology, manipulate what they do, cherry pick. There's been all sorts of studies like this, and yet they don't come back and go, oh, well, here's the problem. But here they will. And I'll show you why this is really irrelevant when you come down to the main point. It didn't consider how COVID spreads and how masks work. <laughs> you okay, so their argument is essentially that they didn't consider the how, how we say masks work in their review of how masks don't work. So it's a narrative disagreement. Okay, now, I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying their pretty ridiculous arguments in this article, but read it through for yourself. The real point here, despite how previously this was already found by the CDC, that as you'll find in this study, the pooled analysis, the pooled results of 78 random controlled trials, I've never even seen a study that comprehensive, did not show a clear reduction in respiratory viral infection with the use of medical or surgical masks, period. Okay, so medical or surgical masks, we're not even including cloth masks because that is such a joke to the point to where even... Lena Wen and Gottlieb and Fox and CNN and two and within 24 hours respectively came out and just said, they don't work. <laughs> oh, no new evidence. We just are just telling you that now, even though Ryan's been screaming that they don't work and they never have, and they increase your risk of infection from the beginning of this whole thing. The point is that, well, now it's N95s. Well, guess what? That's also not true. Like I've also been saying, there were no clear differences between the use of medical surgical masks compared with even N95s. Of healthcare workers, because realize healthcare workers do have them fitted. They do wear them properly in most cases, and even then, they still showed no difference, meaning they were not statistically significant in reducing transmission. It mentions them right there. N95s, the whole damn thing, guys. The study itself is clear. You can read through it for yourself. This, I mean, th this is, as I said, I rarely would say this, but this is essentially a mic drop in the whole conversation. Now, you could argue that there was methodological issues and so on, but how do you not realize that you could look at each one of these random controlled trials for yourself, and they all come to similar conclusions about how these things are not having statistically significant effects? It's just that simple. But then you can go back and look at all the work we've done and all the different shows and all the different studies that all find the same things and just pretend like that doesn't have a factor. But on top of all of it, guess who's also speaking out? This is Marilyn uh, Damasi, PhD, speaking with the lead author of the Cochrane's Mask Review. 
He condemns the pandemic's overnight ex experts. The multitude of scientifically baseless health policies and opens up about his disappointment in Cochrane. Not because of the study, because of the community, including from above, that are pushing back on this study. This is always how it goes, guys. So how many people, how many experts, how many high-level cardiologists, scientists, PhDs, doctors, lead scientists are going to defect from the we trust the narrative team and start going, look, I see it. They're lying. These shots are killing people. Masks aren't saving people from the respiratory viruses because they never were designed to and they don't work in that way or on and on and on or until they finally stand up and go, yes, we're wrong, which I argue will never happen. Never, ever, ever. These people will be marched to prison screaming that you're wrong. That's how I, that's because I just, why ever admit they're wrong? The reality is they don't need to admit they're wrong for us to realize that they've always been wrong. They've always done what's in their best interest. And I'm saying in a general sense, authority, in my opinion. But in this case, we have people like Dr. Maholtra, Dr. I mean, we have people like Nobel laureates like Luke Montagnier. We've got people like the creator of the test that they use who's no longer with us. I mean, it's just pathetic how clear this whole thing has fallen apart. And now they're trying to go back to it. The CDC's given themselves more power to put you under control. They're, they're pushing masks yet again. They're trying to push in lockdowns again, despite almost everybody acknowledging that that not only didn't work, but actually made things far more oh, shocking, exactly like we said would happen. The solution being worse than the problem like Trump promised wouldn't happen. Read the entire thing for yourself. It's just a back and forth interview. It's, it's well done. There's a lot of important stuff to discuss. As I point out, brownstone.org put out an article, which is correct. Not even N95 masks work to stop COVID. It's the same point. And as I said, T-Lab has been proving this to you since 2020. None of them are statistically significant and on and on and on. According to numerous peer-reviewed studies and numerous meta-analyses, even one by the CDC itself. But who cares though, right? Narrative. Here's COVID-1984. I believe he's in the chat right now. Nice to see you. Someone should tell the smartest guy in the world that masks don't work. I, the music's a funny choice. It's funny. But, they, you know, they, no one else around him is masked. It's just a funny choice. Now, I believe that was the meeting he was at with John Podesta, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm not making that up. Could be a different meeting, but he definitely met with John Podesta to talk about the electrification of the, you know, electric car field for the United States. And that's not concerning at all, right? It's just amazing that people don't see the reality, in my opinion. But, yeah, mask up, because that's going to make sense, right? It's not, it doesn't, doesn't work. Here's, here's a study from before, COVID-19, 2019, or rather before we were told about what was going on, N95 respirators versus medical masks for preventing influenza. And you won't be shocked to find out they found among outpatient healthcare personnel N95 respirators versus medical masks, as worn by participants in the trial, resulted in no significant difference in the incidence of laboratory-confirmed influenza. You'll find this everywhere before this. The consensus was clear. The argument was that it stopped, you know, surgery, let's say, spit and things from falling into open wounds for general infection purpose, not because of virus transmission. It's just absurd that, that got warped into it. I actually believe, call me a conspiracy theorist, that the whole point was about getting people to wear the cloth mask because that directly and aggressively increased the risk of infection. Uh, which one was that? Oh, I'm blanking on it all of a sudden. I used to be able to look these up so quickly. It's not the informed consent one. No, 
shoot. Oh, well. Well, that's frustrating. Oh, wait. I think I know. Hold on. Yes, there it is. Got it. 2015. British Medical Journal, National Library of Medicine, NIH. Cloth masks. Very important to remember that this was the only random controlled trial of cloth masks. And guess what the study found? Well, cautioning against the use of cloth masks. Well, look at that. How does that make sense? Okay, well, this is an important finding, they say, to inform occupational health and safety, which apparently they didn't care about. Moisture retention, as I keep telling you, reuse of them, and poor filtration may result in increased risk of infection, which we clearly saw. And I made clear from the beginning. And the only person in corporate media that I saw pointed this was, was uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, but he weirdly said it was a study from 2020. I don't know why. He was wrong about that. This is a 2015 study that was very clear. There is a serious increased risk of infection because of everything we've already talked about. Now ask yourself how it's possible that in 2020, they would then decide to use the very thing that they knew would increase your risk of infection. And I've shown you that on their own studies or their own websites, the CDC website, it, the entire thing was dedicated to using cloth masks. Whatever the reasoning was, they pushed that and everybody used them, 90 something percent of people. And then guess what? Increase of infections everywhere. That's what I think this was really about in one part of creating the illusion that we saw and are continuing to see. Here's a study from the Federalist. CDC study finds overwhelming majority of people getting coronavirus wore masks. <laughs> I wonder why. Now, here's an interesting point that I think is important to refer. I, and I, you know, there's a lot of these grifters, in my opinion, out there today, a word that's increasingly getting overused like everything else. Ian Copeland, Ph.D., it's not even worth getting into the absurdity that this person is, but the point is that he's laughing and screaming, anti-vaxxers say masks don't protect against viruses. Anti-vaxxer? Anti no. Science does, buddy. I guess you don't know about the science as a, as a PhD, apparently. All they do is laugh and ridicule and deride people. It's, it's pathetic. Then you listen to their spaces. You can't even listen. I, I listened to Steve Kurtz try to give them some information, and all they did was interrupt and shout down. And, and wait, 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 wait. What are you saying? I can't believe it. It's it's like that. I'm kidding. I'm not even kidding. Now, just because someone's a PhD does not make them smart <laughs> or intelligent. But, and I mean that in a specific way. Like, obviously, you if you technically became a PhD, then you have the book smarts to get through to that point. But there's a certain level of intelligence that you can see that people just don't have, whatever you want to call that. And that doesn't mean that they can understand what they were taught to understand. But people who trust the CDC, let's say, who have high-level degrees, sometimes you can they don't seem to be that bright, do they, when they're just blindly going along with what they're going. The point is that this guy's screaming about how dumb we are because we don't understand that masks work. And I simply pointed this out. Okay, I didn't even give my comments. I just quoted what the study said. The pooled results of 78 random control trials. Only a complete child could act like that's not relevant. Now, again, I'm not saying it's the absolute end of the conversation because that doesn't happen in science. It's always continuing. There is no settled conversation in science. But you can't pretend like 78 random controlled trials done by something like the Cochrane Review is something you just disregard. And that's, guys, why he just didn't even respond. Even though you'll look through his comments, he this guy screams at everybody that comments. And weirdly enough, he just let this one go. Why do you think that is? And everyone's chiming in. That moment when you're feeling super PhD smart and then T-Lab pops in the comments. Now, I'm, not, I'm not pretending that I'm smarter than PhD. I'm just simply pointing out that it's not that hard to point out that they're wrong when it's that clear. Champagne Joshy points out, Josh Wilkos, I just had a great interview with him that I'm going to be playing right after I'm done with the show today. Permanent masking for healthcare workers is as in forever 
and the rule to include terms around screening and testing of patients, visitors, and staff. So now we have, I guess, the ability to quarantine and snatch you up by the federal government from any state if they just reasonably believe that you're sick. And they're letting OSHA, essentially, enshrine the same things going forward. December 9th, 2022. OSHA moves ahead with permanent COVID-19 standards for health workers. The main point, they're telling you that this is going to continue. Throughout the COVID pandemic, it's especially concerning adequate personal protective equipment, PPE. That's masks, gloves, and so on. Masks is what they're talking about. What they're saying is they, they, they want the rule to include terms around screening, testing, visitors, staff, and optimal PPE. So the bottom line is, to cut to the chase, is they're saying the court has ruled that it lacked the authority to force the agency to make certain rules, but left it up to the to OSHA, which we've already seen how they've fallen in line. So this is just another kind of sidestep to act like, well, we're not going to make you do it, but they're going to do it. Well, yeah, then it's already what happened. So the bottom line is OSHA moves ahead with permanent COVID standards. So whether that, I mean, here's the thing, is that, that mean that only when there's a COVID variant circulating that you have to wear a mask or rather that you wear a mask always just in case COVID becomes present or the fact that they're telling you COVID's ubiquitous all the time. So always wear a mask. You've seen them try to argue masks forever, which essentially is going to maintain alongside their diminished and destroyed immune systems if they're vaccinated, injected, that the mask will only increase their risk of increasing, catching infections and everything else and spreading it, aerosolizing what they do catch. This is like a guaranteed problem, I think. That's one of the things I see. Now, last points to get into. I think this is so incredibly alarming. Now, this is just something I wanted to include, not as a connection to what we were just saying. Like, like I said, I just kind of threw this together last minute today for the most part, things that I had up to the side. But this is a really alarming step. Everything we've talked about today has been pretty much the control of your life for some arbitrary greater good. Well, one of the things they keep pushing is the central bank digital currencies and the digital currency in general. And if if you look just past the surface on their their ridiculous arguments for this, which which relate to anything from COVID-19 risks to climate change, it's ridiculous is that they'll tell you that there is no difference other than the control of your life. We already have digital assets. We already have ways that we can do this. This is about controlling your use of them and removing any other option. This is February 7th. Brighton's face, Britain's face, 20,000 digital pound cap under Bank of England plan. It's exactly what it sounds like. Britain's would be limited to 20,000 pounds. The, the, the currency in the UK, so like dollars for American, 20,000 pounds, digital, or $24,000 in digital currency each, if, they, if the country goes ahead with the currency, which clearly they are. The point is, Britain's government said on Monday that it and the Bank of England were pressing on with work on a possible digital pound that was likely to enter circulation in the second half of, the, of this decade and be held in a wallet provided by the banks Although no final decision has been made, but clearly we always, if every country in the world to some degree has something like this in the works, do we even question that it's happening? I mean, are we all, every one of them are going to stop their plans? Clearly there's more coordination around this than we can even understand. But it gets more alarming than that. We propose a limit between 10,000 pounds and 20,000 pounds per individual as the appropriate balance between managing risks and supporting wide usability of the digital pound. Right, so does that apply to the string pullers, the technocrats? No, of course not. Well, they need limited funds to execute the system. Okay, just like everything else. 
Oh, you'll own nothing and they'll they'll own everything and pretend that you'll be happy about it. No, this is crazy to me because it, it, it what if you don't want that? Right? What if you don't want to engage in this process? What if you want to hold more money than that? Apparently, you're not allowed to. It says a limit of 10,000 pounds would mean that three quarters of people could receive their pay in digital pounds as well as holding pre-existing balances in the same account, while a 20,000 pound limit would allow almost everyone to use digital pounds for day-to-day transactions. So it seems to suggest there's multiple accounts. Now, the question is whether you'll have equal access to all of this, because it doesn't seem very clear to me. Either way, it's digital. Understand it could be shut off should they want that. But it says money above the cap, this is what concerns me, will be, quote, swept into a customer's commercial bank account given that a digital pound would not be a means for storing wealth. Now, that does seem to suggest that we're talking about money being swept into your other account. Right, so let's say you've got your current account, which is already digital, so you understand. They only have 1% of what they claim they've got in that bank. They It's fractional reserve banking. They loan it all out in numbers they don't even have in the bank, which is un- unbelievable we even allow that. They're playing, you, you're there because they're a casino operating on your money. That's what it is. They're, at, they're using your funds that aren't in the bank right now to gamble and bet and invest, and that's what they're doing. But to, for it to be swept away from your, I guess, wallet in your hand into some other account without your deciding for it because they don't want you to be able to hold the wealth in the digital account, at the moment, might not sound concerning, seeing as how well it's in my other account, isn't it? Okay, well, what happens when they only want to transition to digital currency? What happens then? This is a very alarming step. This is more control over your finances that with one more step could change everything else. And that's where this is going, guys. They've already expressed the interest in being able to track everything, control everything, and shut you off if you say or do the wrong things. At the other end, you could say, I need a little wallet full of internet cash to buy things, and they give it to you. Oh, well, thank you, Banks. Thank you for giving me, my, giving me my money to spend. Now, you may not think that's concerning because you don't realize why or what's already happening. Call me a conspiracy theorist, if you will, but that is going to come back to bite you. Seeking True Awareness points out a uh, conspiracy theory from a year ago today. I just, this is actually an order, but I just wanted to point this out. He makes a good point. This was from this was on the, uh, the 9th to, to yesterday. UK fully vaxxed account for 92% of cases, 70% of hospitalizations, and 81% of deaths in the last month. For those that are just getting along, coming around and seeing the last American vagabond for whatever reason, realize that we have been on this beat from the very, very beginning. And long before people were really calling out the excess death or calling out the collapsing athletes because we were paying attention, just demonstrating our wealth. There's a lot of good people out there that were doing it as well. I often point out Jay Wilderness in his videos right there with me, seeing the same things. 2022, February. That is still what's happening. Far, far worse. Last point. This is where it's going, guys. And I agree with the re- reclaim the net. This just the dystopian future. This um, this is the 23rd last uh, of the 23rd of January this year. The World Economic Forum hears that there was a presentation about technology that allows your thoughts to be monitored. Which, the reason that scares me so much is typically when these things are presented, they've already been used for a decade. So ask yourself what that could mean. And even if it's not, ask yourself what it could mean for the future. If these very same people who we just went through, talking about quarantining you because they decide to, taking away your rights because they think you're a danger, shutting you down because you think the wrong things, well, there you go. 
Now they don't need to ask. They don't need to look at your social media account. They just tap into your phone because it's tapped into your thoughts or whatever way this goes forward. If you, I mean, think about the crazy. If I would have said this was happening without showing you the World Economic Forum or this post, people would call it, even still, they'll call it a conspiracy theory as it gets built around them. Those are the very people that, whether they know it or not, we're actually fighting for, or at least I am. So I'm fighting for everybody, especially those that think that they're being saved by all of this. The truth is that we're fighting for every single one of you out there because you all deserve freedom, even if you don't think we do. So thank you for being here today. And I apologize about the, the change of the show. I will be in her. I'm going to check. Maybe she's gotten back to me. I'll be connecting again with Brooke once she uh, gets back to me on this and we'll reset the show. And we'll do that again coming up in the next so many days. So thank you for being here, guys. I love you. Thank you for all your support. Make you make sure you check out Autonomy. Make sure you check out Grand Theft World. Check out my, my uh, Autonomy program because they're supporting this platform. And my program, I really do, I think, is a great uh, program in general on the autonomy course setting as well as the fact you can support us on all of the rest of the things we have cash app buy me a coffee subscribe star direct donation donation portal Substack, all the different ways you can support us but really the most important thing just share the link guys get the information in front of people that need to see it all right i love you all as always question everything come to your own conclusions stay vigilant you want to say bye